Well, hello, Abundant Life. It is wonderful to be with you today. My name is Mike, and I am so excited to talk to you today. We're in the middle of a series called Relationship Spheres, and I have the joy of talking to you about the sphere of friendship. See, the truth is that we are relational creatures created by a relational God. You might remember all the way back at the very beginning of the story where God looks at Adam in the garden and he says, it is not good for man to be alone. So we find ourselves today as social beings living a life filled with social situations and this is on purpose. You see, God's plan is that our friendships would actually be catapults. They they would be a catalyst for us to live the very best life possible. They're they're designed to be cohorts for glory, filling us with a zest for life as we go after God's best together. We find all kinds of, of verses in the scriptures about how powerful relationships can be. For example, Psalm 1, which talks about, blessed is the man who, who doesn't walk in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers or, or, or go in the way of those who go against God, right? And the recognition is that when we aren't careful, friends can actually get us off course. They can actually get us away from the direction that God wants us to live. And I think you might think about your life as I think about mine and realize that there were some times in our lives where friends got us to do things we never would have done on our own. For example, when I was in middle school, I had a buddy named Jason Cousins, and he convinced me to light my hair on fire so I could join his club. (laughs) This was so, so dumb for a couple of reasons. The first reason is there were only two people in the club, me and him. The second reason is that the clubhouse was in my backyard. And the third reason is hair burns quickly. So friends, learn from me, please. The idea is very, very simple, that, that friends can get us off course. They can get us to do things that we never would have done on our own, but they also are an incredible power for good in our lives. So take a look at this verse from Ecclesiastes chapter four, verses nine and following. It says, two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three or even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. You know, once growing up, I I experienced the power of this verse. I I actually was in the gym working out, but I was working out alone, without a friend, without a spotter. And I remember I had loaded up the the weight on the bench and I had gone to the bench. I thought, I can handle this on my own. And when I lifted that bar off of the rack, it just crashed down on my chest. And I was crushed between this massive amount of weight. And and I struggled for a while, but I couldn't budge it. And so I kind of was looking around. Around. I was, you know, a little help, please. And finally, a 12-year-old boy comes sauntering in and he picks the weight off of my chest, does a couple of curls, puts it back on the rack. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It wasn't a little boy. <laughs> she was a girl. 
But the point is that God has wired us to require relationships, to actually need friendships in our lives. We can't live in isolation. That's not how we're made. We're designed to go through life with a spotter. And because the truth is that one day you're going to face a crisis. You're going to face a situation. You'll find yourself maybe in a financial crisis or the loss of a job, or you'll need to move a piano, or you'll need to split some firewood or, or dig your way through a snowbank that was previously your driveway. In all of these scenarios, God wants to provide himself as our friend, but also others around us, walking with us, picking the weight off of us when it's too great to bear. And so friendships can be very, very powerful. And everyone desires certain qualities in our friendships. If you think about it, we want them to be fun and uplifting and safe and challenging and deep. But maybe not all of these qualities in all of our friendships. There can be incredible beauty in our friendships, but they don't all have to be the same. And so what I want to do is I want to walk through different levels of friendships and hopefully show you the value and the beauty in each level. So the first level is this. They're called connecting level one friendships. And you might identify these as surface level friendships or acquaintance plus, Facebook plus friends. And, and they require a very little effort on your part. But I would suggest to you that this is simply our responsibility as followers of Jesus. This is my responsibility as a Christian. I want to treat everybody with kindness, with politeness. I want to treat everybody with honor and value and dignity. In fact, I, I want you to know this, that I view everyone I meet as a potential friend. In fact, my wife sort of makes fun of me uh, for this. I'll, I'll be talking to her and I'll tell her, oh, this and this about my buddy, Mark. And she, she'll say, oh, wait, your buddy, Mark? Haven't you talked to him like one time? And I'll be like, yeah, but he was so great. In fact, I want you to know my, my default assumption is that we are friends until you tell me different. That's just how I live life. And when I look at the scriptures, this is how I see Jesus modeling this level of friendship throughout the course of his ministry. You know, as he went from town to town, he looked everyone in the eye. He spoke to everybody's need. He listened and cared for everyone he meant. An example of this is Zacchaeus. Uh, you might know the story of Zacchaeus. You might be familiar with it. Or maybe you're like me. Uh, you grew up knowing about this story because of a song you learned in Sunday school. Uh, it went, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. Uh, there was a, an Irish community in Jericho at that time, apparently. But here's the passage from Luke 19, verses one through six. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road for Jesus was gonna pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quit come down. I must be a guest at your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. 
Well, I love this passage. And there are a few things that Jesus does to engage in this level one friendship. He connects with this person. And the first thing he does, and the first thing you and I can do is recognize something about someone. In other words, a a connection friendship, it really doesn't require much. It requires you to be breathing and recognize that the other person is breathing and to, to use anything you can sense as a bridge to build. So you just recognize something about someone. You, you, you notice something interesting about them and make a comment on that because you're building a bridge of connection. So you might be in the same class. You might live on the same street. You might share an alma mater or a hobby or a clothing style or one you appreciate or you go to the same church or live in the same neighborhood or cheer for the same sports teams, etc. Any of these things can be a connecting bridge of friendship. Well, what did Jesus recognize in this story? He recognized, well, hey, you're sitting in a tree. That's fascinating, right? There was just this connection. And then what we can do is what Jesus did. We remember a name. You see, Jesus called him Zacchaeus. It's so beautiful. In fact, the Bible actually makes a note that says, and he called him by name. He didn't just say, hey, dude. He didn't say, hey, tiny tree tot. You know, he he said Zacchaeus, right? And there's this power. Friends, when you remember a name, it's beautiful. It communicates care. It's validating. There's, There's a value given. It's dignifying. It communicates that you have taken interest in another person. So you recognize something about someone, you remember a name, and the third is you just take a risk. You take a little risk to reach out. You know, everybody longs to have someone take a risk on them. And there will always be an element of risk as we reach out and try to build a connecting friendship. But friends, we can do it. We can take the risk to have a conversation. We can take the risk to make a contact. And this might just be an invitation. You know, I know we're all still, you know, going through this springtime of COVID, but friends, we can't stop being human. We can't stop living how God has wired us to live. What Jesus said to Zacchaeus is so beautiful. He said, I'm coming to your house today. In other words, there's a biblical precedent for us to invite ourselves over for dinner. So take advantage of this level, right? Feel free to invite yourself over. I just wanna tell you this truth about my life. As a relational pastor and leader and author and coach, I, I want you to know that I have enjoyed and been blessed by thousands, literally thousands of friendships at this level. I think it's absolutely a gift from God And I want you to know that I'm always open to taking friendships to the next level. And so the next level of friendships, if you're taking notes, is cultivating. Level two friendships, I call these cultivating friendships. And cultivating is a word, it's it's actually a gardening word. I didn't know much about this word before I moved from California to the Pacific Northwest because up until then, I had done all my gardening like this. Um, Who do I make the check out to? And so then moved up to the Pacific Northwest and realized, oh, I too can help things grow. And uh, so I, I learned a lot about gardening. And cultivating, you might already know this, it simply means turning things over. It means digging down and flipping up 
upside down. It's tilling the earth. It's mixing things up. And in this level of friendship, what it is, is there's give and take, right? There's pouring in and there's receiving back. And Jesus models this level of friendship with his disciples. These are the band that he is on tour with. He's, he's with them for, you know, a three-year tour of the countryside and they're camping out and they're having all these adventures together. And Jesus cultivated great friendship with them by doing a few things. And we can do these things as well. What Jesus started with is encouragement. And I want you to know that you can start with encouragement as well in your friendships. Everybody is dying for encouragement. But here's what Jesus does. He, he, he sees something in Peter that Peter maybe doesn't even see in himself. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says this. He says, now I say to you that you are Peter. It's a, it's a play on words, right? It's, it's, it's about his name and what his name means. The rock he's calling him. And then he says, and upon this rock, I will build my church and the powers of hell will not conquer it. Friends, can you imagine how encouraged Peter felt when Jesus said this to him? You're the rock, he's saying, and I'm gonna build my church on this rock. You could just imagine Peter just being filled with confidence that Jesus thinks like that about me. And then you fast forward to the book of Acts chapter two and you see Peter give the first sermon, right? He gives the first sermon of the church and 3,000 people are saved in that day. 3,000 people come and they say, yes, what can we do to be saved? And, and Peter says, look, you, be baptized, trust in Christ, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And on that day, 3,000 people entered the movement of following after Jesus. You go a couple chapters later and the number is 5,000. And Jesus, in fact, did build his church upon the rock of Peter. Whew, it's powerful. But I want you to know, you and I, we can't see into the future, but we can always encourage. And an encouragement simply means seeing something in someone that they may not see themselves. Encouragement simply means pouring courage into another, reinforcing the very best in another person. You see grace in them. You see a generous spirit in them. You see their potential. You see, often we can see things about others that they can't even see themselves. When we see it, we need to speak it. That's encouragement. You know, we talk ourselves out of it all the time. We say things like, oh, they already know. They don't need me to say that. Oh, somebody else is already telling them that. Oh, no, friends. Listen, here's a rule. If you think it and it's positive, say it. If it comes to mind and it's positive, go ahead and say it. People are dying for encouragement. And I just know that, that, that most of us aren't very good at this. We can all do better at it. And often, even when we try to be encouraging, we just focus on the externals. We say things like, oh, I love your hair. You know, oh, that, that outfit is fantastic on you. You know, you don't seem to sweat so much in that outfit, you know, whatever. And we just sort of stumble our way through. Great encouragement captures things that matter. So catch this. When you find things in others that you admire, go ahead and call them out. Speak them out. Say things like, you know, you are a great life group leader. 
I think you have the gift of hospitality because every time you make me feel so welcome or you really are a great question asker. I can tell by the way you ask me questions that you really care about me and you just pour courage in. That's what Jesus did with his disciples. And the next thing we see Jesus doing with his disciples, and it's a mark of a cultivating friendship, is healthy confrontation. Healthy confrontation. Because what happens is immediately after the passage we just read about Jesus pouring into Peter and building him up, we read this passage. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Which by the way, I I have to say, this is the worst thing you could possibly hear from Jesus, in my opinion. Uh, He says, you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Okay, so confrontation. What is Jesus actually saying to Peter? He's not saying, Peter, you're the father of lies. He's not saying, Peter, you're evil incarnate. What Jesus is saying is, Peter, you might not know this, but those are the words of the enemy that he's whispering nonstop in my ear. Say, Peter, you you don't even know this, but the greatest temptation I'll ever face is to not do what the Father sent me to do. and, And you're speaking that temptation to me right now. It's healthy confrontation. Jesus is saying, Peter, I need you to have God's mind for me on this one. And if you're taking notes, I just would love to have you write down, friends shape friends. Friends shape friends. I've become a better person and a better parent and a better husband and friend because I've learned to invite some loving confrontation into my life. And that's what the book of Proverbs means when it says, as iron sharpens iron, so one friend sharpens another. It's been my experience that for friendships to grow into this more deep and rich place, they must go through a little bit of fire. For example, the book of Proverbs 27, six says, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. College guys are wondering, well, how cute is said enemy? Hypothetically speaking, of course, but but what I want you to see is that a healthy friendship offers real help. It's an honest assessment of character, it's challenge and it's truth in love. That's what Jesus offers to his disciples. So he offers that encouragement, that healthy confrontation, and then he offers steadfast authenticity. Steadfast authenticity. You know, this level of friendship, it does require some commitment, some stick to itness. The scripture says, never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. And what we see from Jesus is that he invests deeply into these guys for a period of three years. And even now, Jesus is the one who says that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. His commitment, in other words, is secure. It is steadfast. It's persistent. And then authenticity, of course, simply means to let yourself be known, to be the real you. Listen, nobody's perfect. 
nobody is perfect. And when you pretend that you are, you alienate others. You, you put a stiff arm between you and them. But when you're real and you take this risk to be known, you let the guard down and you actually endear others toward you. You allow them the freedom to be real as well. And you may have many people in your life and you may be involved in activities and groups, but if you don't make yourself fully known, then you'll be in for a life of inner loneliness and isolation because you'll be hiding. And there's just something about the way God has made us that we desire to be known and seen. And as we're known and seen, to be loved in that space. Friends, I just want you to understand that none of this can be forced. There is no spiritual drive-through that we can go into and say, hey, I'll take one cultivated friends. Uh, could you supersize them, please? Uh, that just doesn't happen. We, we have to sort of put ourselves in the posture. We have to be rather intentional about the way we approach being this kind of friend in order to have this kind of friend. It's a little bit like trying to force yourself to fall asleep. You can't force yourself to fall asleep. All you can do is put yourself in situation, sort of develop the circumstances that give the best chance for you to fall asleep, right? You lay down on a soft bed, you have it at a nice temperature, the lights are out, maybe you take a melatonin, maybe you listen to one of my messages online, but you put yourself in this optimal place to just fall Asleep. Well, friendship is a bit like that. There's intentionality around it, but we can't force it. We have to make the investment and then hope that the other person is going to reciprocate as well. But when we do, it puts us in the posture of getting to level three. This is cherishing level three friendships. And the word cherishing is chosen intentionally. It just means that that deep and rich friendship. Again, if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write down the phrase, I call these the time flies friendships. In other words, you look at the, wait, is it 2 a.m. already? I feel like we just started talking because time loses all manner of meaning when you're with a friend like this. And in the scriptures, John seems to be somebody that Jesus loved like this. We don't have a lot of insight into how Jesus' relationship with John was different than, say, Peter and James, who we also spent a whole lot of time intentionally with. But there was something different. There was a way that Jesus was connected and cherished his relationship with John and how John responded and flourished in that cherished relationship with Jesus. Something was different because he was known as the disciple Jesus loved. The scripture says in John 13, 23, now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples, it was John, whom Jesus loved. And I love this picture. This is at the Last Supper. And it was not uncommon because you remember the tables were low in this Middle Eastern culture and, and friends would often recline around the table together. So it was not uncommon that, that these friends who were close, that John would be resting against Jesus. So it's, but, it's, but it's beautiful and it's tender, right? It's that recognition of trust and, and connectedness there. But I want you to understand this last week of Jesus' life. You know, a few days previous, everybody in Jerusalem was a friend of Jesus. You remember? 
On Palm Sunday, everybody was shouting Jesus. Everybody was chanting his name. Everybody was saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were saying, Jesus has come in the name of the Lord. They were honoring him and celebrating him. He had all the Facebook friends in town, but that was level one. And now we go a few days later and his disciples, level two, one of them, Judas, had betrayed him. And then he had run away. And one of them, Peter, he had denied him three times and was hiding in shame. And the rest of his disciples were scattered and they were terrified. I don't know where they were. But at the foot of the cross, there was John. At the foot of the cross, there was John, the disciple Jesus loved. And Jesus said, John, will you behold your mother? And he was referring to Mary. He said, would you, would you be her son? And then he said, Mary, would you behold your son, John? And, and there was this tenderness. There was this connection there because John was a cherished friend of Jesus. See, he stood by Jesus when all the others had bailed. And I want you to understand that this level of friendship, it's marked by some beautiful things. It's marked by a deep and rich trust. This is, this is that deep and rich trust where, where you absolutely trust the other person with your secrets and with your hurts and wounds and with your deepest, most precious dreams. This is where guys will talk about taking a bullet for another person. This is, I actually don't know if women care about bullets so much, but there's this deep level of sisterhood, right? There's this band of brothers and that's what we're talking about at this level. It's trust that is total and complete and powerful because it's an extension of the reliability we feel from our heavenly father, God. Another biblical friendship that mirrors all of these things is the friendship between Jonathan and David. And I do just want you to know that this is the friendship we'll be looking at at the seminar on Monday night. So I'd love to have you join us for that conversation. But you see in the passage in Samuel that Jonathan is loyal to his friend David, even when it means contention with his father Saul, even when it means contention with his own throne. In 1 Samuel 18, verses three and following, it says that Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as well. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. See, by giving him all of these things, these kingly marks, these, these weapons, right? He was saying, I trust you with everything. I trust you. There's this deep and powerful trust that Jonathan has with David. The next mark of a cherished friendship is not just trust, but it's transparency. It's this idea of I'm not afraid to be absolutely vulnerable with you. I'm not afraid because I have that level of trust. I can be transparent with you. And the scripture says this in 1 Samuel 20. This is when Jonathan and David are saying goodbye for the last time on earth. This is the last time they're going to see each other in this physical realm. And it says, David came out from where he'd been hiding near the stone pile. 
Then David bowed to Jonathan with his face to the ground. Both of them were in tears as they embraced each other and said goodbye, especially David. Friends, they loved one another. This wasn't just Jonathan loving David. This was David loving Jonathan and so trusting and so transparent that he doesn't have to hide his emotion. This is the warrior poet of Israel. This is a man's man. This is, you know, this is the the most Herculean guy in the kingdom and he's not afraid to be real and let his emotions show because he cherished his relationship with Jonathan and he was deeply grieved that he wasn't going to be able to see him again. Friends, this kind of friendship is where you take the mask off and you say, this is me. This is who I am. And it's, and I'm, it's met with a smile of acceptance. It's like, I, I'm not perfect. Of course I'm not, but I'm known and I'm loved. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And the last marker of this cherished level of friendship is just the word treasure. It's just something beautiful, something powerful to treasure. You know, you can work on level one friendships and you can cultivate level two friendships, but at, but at level three, you just have to kind of throw your hands up and just say, God, thank you. This is a gift from the storehouse of heaven. This is just an absolute divine gift in my life. C.S. Lewis says this, friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. Friends, this is deep calling to deep. This is us recognizing a little bit of ourselves in another who is so cherished to us. 1 Samuel 18, one says, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. That's what we're talking about, that cherished level of friendship. And he loved him as himself. I wanna be real and and just vulnerable with you in this moment. And I wanna tell you that in addition to my wife, Jody, of 24 years, the person in my life that I've had and enjoyed a friendship at this level is my buddy, Christopher. I, I actually write about him in several of my books. He shows up as Toph. I call him Toph. And, and Toph and I met our first week at uh, freshman orientation at Pepperdine University, greatest university on the planet, founded by Solomon. And, and in that, it was just this immediate kindred spirit. And then we became roommates and then we traveled Europe together. And then we came back to the States and got motorcycles and hit the continental United States together. And we were best men in each other's weddings and we started a business together. And, and even now that he lives in Denver and I live in Seattle, we connect yearly for motorcycle trips and family vacations. And during the season of COVID, we've connected weekly just to do sort of Zoom end of week connect kind of of experiences and and I just want you to understand that if you have a toaf or two in your life right if you're blessed enough to have a toaf you're blessed enough that we don't get many of these kinds of friends in our life. But, but when we do, we have to recognize that it takes intentionality just to continue to honor that, to continue to be filled with gratitude over that friendship, to continue to offer that friendship up to the Lord in thanksgiving. 
Well, as I wrap this up, I want you to know that this is a picture of healthy friendships. And as I've talked about three levels, you know, connecting level and cultivating level and cherished level, here's what I don't want to, to have happen. I don't want you to put up a poster board in your room and have like a target and here's level one and here's level two and here's level three and then do post-it notes with your friends. Oh, here's Bob's at this level and Stan's at this level and I got Jerry over here. And because what I don't want is for, for Bob to walk in and go, what, I'm, I'm level one? I thought I was level two. And you're like, no, no, you're definitely level one. Right, I, I don't want, or, or like somebody makes you mad and you're like, oh, you're not level three, you're level one, you know? No, no, that's, that's absolutely not what this is about. Just the opposite, in fact. What I want you to see is that wherever friends are in your life, whether they're level one, level two, or level three, whether you consider them connecting or cultivating or cherished friendships, I want you to understand that what we can do as followers of Jesus is maximize every single friendship. We can always be open to our friendships growing and developing and moving into a deeper, richer space. And we can do this because we have the love of Jesus inside of us. And so we can love others with that same love. Well, as I wrap our time together, I just want you to understand that the picture of healthy friendship that I've talked about today, it comes straight from Jesus himself. You know, Jesus is the one who modeled all of the things that we've talked about today. In fact, I want you to remember what Jesus said about friendship. He said, greater love has no one than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is one of the greatest teachers the planet has ever seen. I would argue the greatest. But the reason why he is different than every other teacher that ever lived is not just that he said incredible things, but after he said them, he did them. And so when Jesus said, there's no greater love than this, and a man lay down his life for his friends, then I want you to understand, then Jesus did exactly that. He laid down his life for his friends. He laid down his life for you and for me. He laid down his life on, on the cross of Calvary so that the problem that we have, our sin problem, would be taken away forever, that we would receive his grace, that we would be forgiven of all of our sins, that we would be cleansed of all unrighteousness. And then we would be in a position because we're cleansed by his grace, now we can have a right relationship with our heavenly father. In fact, Romans chapter five says it this way. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God, all because of what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us in making us friends with God. You see, Jesus, because he laid down his life in friendship for us, has made us friends with God. He's the greatest friend that has ever walked this planet. Nobody will ever love you like Jesus loves you. Jesus is the friend who sticks closer than a brother. Jesus is the one who will never leave you and never forsake you. And I just want you to understand that you can trust him. You can trust him with your life. You can trust him with your future. You can trust him with your eternity. I wonder if, if you've never had a chance to receive his gift of grace, if you've never said yes to this relationship of love with God that starts now and lasts forever because of this gift that Jesus is offering you, 
I wonder if today is the day for you. In fact, in just a moment, I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna give you an opportunity to basically say yes to friendship with God because you received the gift that Jesus is offering you on the cross of Calvary, the gift of his love, the gift of his grace, the gift of his forgiveness. So right now what I wanna do is I just wanna invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes and, and why don't we pray? And if you've never said yes to him, if you've never chosen to trust in his love, maybe today's the day you'll do that. Let's pray. Jesus, we wanna say thank you for your friendship. Thank you for pursuing us in kindness all the days of our life, even to this moment right here. And Lord, I wanna give an opportunity for anybody who's listening to this message, anybody who's participating with Abundant Life today, if they have never said yes to the gift of your grace, would you just prompt their hearts to say yes to you today? If they've never received your forgiveness, the forgiveness that you purchased on the cross of Calvary, would you just prompt their hearts to simply receive your forgiveness today? If they've never said, I wanna follow you, Jesus, I wanna walk with you, the greatest friend the planet has ever seen, would you just allow them in their heart, in the, in the quietness of their spirit today, to simply say, Jesus, I wanna walk in friendship with you today. Lord, we love you. And we know that you're working in hearts all over this valley. We know you're working in hearts in all of the campuses, everyone who's watching online. We know, Jesus, that your Holy Spirit is alive and real. That Jesus, your love is powerful. And, and the gift of friendship that you offer us allows us to be friends with God for all of eternity. And so for this, we are so thankful and we praise your name today. Jesus, what I wanna ask right now is that you would make every single one of us a good friend. We recognize that the ultimate truth of friendship lies in this, that we don't just have friends, we have to first be a friend. And so we ask that you would fill us now with your Holy Spirit, that you would fill our lives with your love, that you would allow us to live out embodiments of your grace everywhere we go. Help us to be great friends and therefore to enjoy great friendship.